Welcome to another edition of the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me on this Tuesday, as he will every Tuesday throughout the NBA season, Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer. What's up, Kev? What's going on, Chris? Thanks for having me on today. So last night, uh, you wrote the King of the Court feature on the Ringer today. Last night, the big story is Russell Westbrook and now averaging a triple-double. You somehow dutifully tied this into Westworld, which which I don't watch. Do you watch Westworld? I watch Westworld every single Sunday night, Chris, and I love every moment of it. Oh, you'd recommend? Yes. I, I, I can't re- recommend it enough, honestly. I, <laughs> it's one of those shows that, for me... Every Monday morning, I'm already looking forward to the following Sunday, and there aren't a lot of shows that I've watched in my life where I, I, I just can't wait for the next episode, Breaking Bad being one of them. Um, Westworld, it's only season one, so it's a perfect time to start going and binge-watching the first nine episodes leading up to Sunday's finale. You seriously got to watch it. All right, how long, how long would it take me to get interested? Like, after one episode, am I going to be interested or no? Yeah, I think so. But okay. but it's the type of show you can't be like looking at your phone or like watching an NBA game while you're watching it. You got to be all in on Westworld, focusing on it, um, because it, it it definitely requires that amount of attention in order to follow mm, some enough. of the stories. I got, I got a short attention span, so like I really okay. need the first episode something to happen. Like you remember in uh, now I never finished it, so this is probably a bad example. But you remember in like uh, Game of Thrones, like the first episode, the kid like flies out the window at the end of the first episode. I was like, damn it, what happened? And then, like then I had to watch the next episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what you mean. Like you, you get to rewind sometimes, I suppose. All right, so let's tie it back to Russell Westbrook. Um, though you have given a rave review for Westworld. Uh, Russell Westbrook now averaging a triple-double after last night. And one of the crazy things that came out is I saw uh, you wrote about it today. Other analysts were talking about it last night. This comparison to Oscar Robertson, who famously had a season where he averaged a triple-double. I was previously unaware of the ridiculous amount of possessions less that today's players actually use the amount of shots, the amount of rebounds. Like, it's it, Westbrook is is doing this with less available opportunity than Robertson did. I didn't realize the game was that fast way back when. Yeah. So last night I was just thinking, like, okay, what are the differences between the season Oscar Robertson did it and what what Westbrook is doing now through 19 games? And the obvious. The obvious thing is pace. I mean, back then teams played a lot quicker. And honestly, like like you said, I, I was surprised at just the difference in the shots per game. And in 1962, when Oscar Robertson did it, they attempted over 107 shots per game. Whereas today, it's about 84 shots per game. So there's a there's a lot fewer possessions for Westbrook to tally all these numbers, get all these rebounds, all these points and assists that he's getting. I mean, people say he's hunting for rebounds, and that's kind of true to an extent. But there's still less opportunity for him to actually do it. And the fact he is is really remarkable. What do you think the chances are? Give me a percentage chance he could pull this off. I mean, we are almost a fourth of the way through the season. (laughs) Percentage (laughs) chance he could really end the season averaging a (laughs) triple-double. How about... You know, I'm going to say 40%. I'm, I'm not going to give over 50. Just just because it's it's so hard to do, and there are so many variables over the course of the year. And I think at some point, at some point during the season, 
there's going to be a, a, a time where he's just not crashing the boards as much or they're requiring him to score a little bit more, which leads to fewer assists. I just, I think he'll be close, but I don't know if he'll get the, the 10 rebounds and the 10 assists. Okay, so which would you think he'd be less likely to get? Um, I almost think the assist uh, because you're dependent yeah. on other guys hitting shots. Yeah, yeah. It's like, in a way, you can almost control the rebounds, but the assist, it's dependent on his teammates who, quite frankly, aren't great. <laughs> so I think I'd lean towards the assist as well, Chris. But, but man, it's hard. I mean, I want to say he'll get it, but it's just such a hard thing to do. The Warriors won their 12th game in a row, and they're really rocking. They beat Atlanta last night, and the two Draymond stops down the stretch were just absurd. Getting switched on to Schroeder and then just packing him, and then he and then he stops Bazemore and slaps it off of him out of bounds. I mean, these are two plays with the game on the line. He, he jabbered after the game about how, you know, He's kind of pissed off that after they lost Bogut, people thought their defense would go downhill, and so he's got something to prove, and yada yada yada. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of attention will be paid to the to the jabbering afterwards. But just in terms of the actual plays, I mean, those are like defensive savant plays. He was ridiculous. Yeah, um, like like you said, he he's he feels a little bit slighted, and at the same time, I mean. That, whatever works, right? Like whatever is going to push you to to maximize your abilities. Last night I was talking to Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation and Adi Joseph from Sporting News, and and we kind of talked about you know what's more important because Andre Godala said how there's few tricks, there's nothing special about Draymond does. It's just effort. You got to want it. And and Ricky said, well, he's got long arms. He's a freakish athlete. He's super quick for a big guy. That's why he's so great. And that's true. Um, but I, th- I think really what Draymond has is he has all the qualities that you look for in a defender. He has the long arms. He has the quickness. He has the strength. But he also plays with maximum effort, and he's super smart. I mean, he has he's just a melting pot of all the traits that you want to have in a defender. And, and quite frankly, some of the plays we saw last night were from him were just examples of why he is arguably the best defender in the league. Arguably, they should be one of the leading highlights on his defensive player of the year highlight reel. So I, I think I think what he's doing is really remarkable. And whatever motivation he needs to push himself to play at that level is a pretty cool thing. I love Iguodala saying that. I love that coaches are going to go tell little Bobby today at practice that it's just all about effort. But that is so bogus. I mean, of course, a freak of nature. And Andre Iguodala is the one saying that, right? Yeah. Like yep. there's, there's, you know what I mean? There's nothing. Yep. There's no mystery. You just gotta, you know, you just gotta play hard. Well, like, dude. I, I don't. I don't know. Like Kyle Korver can play as hard as he wants. He's not. He's not staying in front of somebody. I'm sorry. For sure. Right. That, that's true. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. But you know, my my argument is is that it, it the the truly transcendent defensive players are the ones who have those athletic traits, but they also do have the intangibles, just like the other way around. Um, if you have a guy with all the intangibles but no athleticism, he's not going to be a good defender. But neither is a guy who is all athleticism and really no effort or or no basketball IQ on the court. Um, it, it's the blend of those attributes that makes him so great and other guys so great, like like Iguodala himself. Um, even oh, Iguodala. that's a hundred percent. I mean, they're, 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 the NBA is, in fairness to Iguodala, because um, I goofed on it. In fairness. There are the NBA is littered with outstanding athletes yeah. that are not great defenders. 
And a lot of that is effort, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they could be amazing defenders, right? And so, uh, to his point, that is true. But the, the guys that are truly special, they also have those athletic traits. I think it's oh, may, totally. maybe better said that like you can't just try real hard and be a great defender. But on the other hand, there are a lot of guys that if they tried really hard, they could be great defenders. I think about a guy like Jeff Green. Jeff Green, he's probably one of the like in the top percentile of athletes in the league. Um, but he a doesn't put in good effort. I think you know that seeing him with the Grizzlies, uh, he's done it on every team he's been on, where he shows flashes of what he can be, but he never puts it all together. He doesn't have great basketball IQ or feel. Um, he, I don't think he, I don't think he feels the game, Jeff Green. But he's a guy where if he did have those attributes. I could easily see him being one of the best defenders in the league, but he's not. He's not unless he locks in all the time and he make and he commits to locking in. But that's something he's never really done for any any relevant stretch of his career. Oh no, I've been there too with him, I, with Jeff Green, and prior to Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay could yeah. be an outstanding defender. There is, I mean, if you want you want to put Rudy Gay up against any of the athletes, he's he's right there. He's top yep. tier. Um, it's just a it's a, it's a level of disinterest, right? I mean, they're just like you either you either really want to bear down, and you you either get humiliated and it matters to you when your guy scores or it doesn't, right? No, and exactly. So, you know, and there's a lot of guys that honestly make their way in the NBA just by caring so much if their guy scores against them because coaches love guys that are going to go out there <laughs> and defend. So the Warriors won their twelfth in a row. There's they're humming now, right? I mean, it started off at the beginning of the season, and they took the losses, and everybody was like, "Well, maybe they, maybe they didn't, uh, maybe they shouldn't get rid of Bogut. Maybe their bench is a little lighter than it used to be. Whatever." Now it's tw- like things have started to settle in, right? Through the first week of the season, we're like, "Hey, maybe the Nets aren't going to be terrible, and maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this is going to happen, right?" Like, so all right, we're now far enough into the season. Guess what? The Warriors are totally awesome, right? Yep, sure are, Chris. All right. The other one that I do think is uh, is worth noting is everybody's darling was the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they're Ugh. digging themselves quite a hole now. After getting beat last night at home by Utah, they are five and twelve to start the season, and so, so I mean you're getting to a longer trek back to five hundred. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard at the beginning of the season. If you dig yourself a real hole, you can have a really good second half of the season. But man, you now you're now you're getting get out of the whole mode first. Um, are you surprised that we're looking up 17 games into the season and it's not like they've been killed by injury? Minnesota just has not played well. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I picked them for the playoffs and I'm feeling not very smart right now. <laughs> um, they, they have just completely fallen short of expectations that I had, at least. And I think that a lot of other people shared as well. And man, it's... They they are so great in the first half of games, and I, th- I think a lot of people on Twitter talk about this. They just fall apart in third quarters. They didn't last night, but over the course of the season, they they have. And I, I just don't know if even if they fix that third quarter issue, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll maintain their stellar play in the first half. Things things will equalize over the course of the year. I think you know. You mentioned how the Nets started off. Maybe they're not as bad as we think, or the Warriors. Maybe they're not as great as we think. Well, the the Wolves probably aren't a superpower in the first half, right? Like they are so far this season. 
that that they're probably not the worst team in the league in the third quarter either. They're somewhere in the middle, and that team is probably exactly what their record is: five and twelve, a six and ten type of team. Um, I I just don't know what the solution is. I I watch this team, and I, I have a hard time putting a finger on what they need to do. Um, part of me wonders. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I wrote the article about teams that should tank i'm wondering if maybe they should actually be one of those teams because they there have been rumors for years now about them wanting to trade ricky rubio maybe maybe it would make sense for them to add another top player in the draft and suddenly have a core of wiggins towns done and whoever else they pick i would you uh, know what i'd do i'd look around i'd see what kind of i'd see what kind of uh of return i could get on levine I, I think I think I'd build work. around I'd, I'd I'd build around Wiggins and Towns and get me roll guys around them, right? I, yeah, I, I think I mean, but is Levine is Levine one of those roll guys? I, no, he's not a role player. Yeah. He's not a guy that's just going to settle into a role. Like you need these, you know. Every every one of these teams, you go back through time. They've got the Rick Fox. They've got the Bruce Bowen. They've got you know, these type of players. Right. And sometimes, uh, you know, where, where you're putting them, those are the best fits next to stars is to get legitimate guys that know their role, willing to play their role, keep the ball moving. I mean, that team's got two bona fide possible superstars. And I think I would look and I would build. I would I would try to I try to see what kind of value I could get for some of my other guys and build with some really good role players around them. No, that, that does do. make sense, Chris. I mean, but maybe. You know, depending on what they want to do, I know I know people are saying Thibodeau wants to deal for a veteran, right? I'm pretty sure that's been a rumor that's been floated around out there. But maybe maybe the other side of that is, you know, if you were to deal Levine for one of those role players that you're mentioning, one of those veteran players, um, your team might get a little bit worse immediately because Levine is one of their top scorers. Um, he's one of their top three point shooters. So maybe you get a little bit worse with your current build, but you're building for later. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm trying yeah, to I'm think about like, what's, the, what's about, the best approach for them. You think about you think about like these teams, though, in the past. Right. And listen, I, I'm not uh, Wiggins and Towns are not Shaq and Kobe, but I do think that it's instructive. If you take a look back and you go, all right, they were playing with Robert Ory and Derek Fisher. Yep and Rick Fox and Ron Harper, these kind of guys, right? That's who's around the stars. And even in Houston, when they made their run to the finals, it's Patrick Beverly, it's Trevor Ariza, it's Corey Brewer, right? You've got stars and you got role players on teams. And I just don't, I don't know. I, 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 that's what I'd do if, you know, if I was the GM of the Wolves, but what do I know? Um, what would you do? All right, now that we're looking at these standings, as of like we're saying, almost a fourth of the way through the season for some of these teams, um, is it fair to say the only ones we would kick out in the East, and we'd say, okay, these teams don't have any shot at the playoffs, are I would kick out Orlando, Miami, Brooklyn, and Philly. I'll leave Washington with a puncher's chance. Washington, Detroit, and Milwaukee; those are the three on the outside closest to the eight seed right now yeah i mean you, you can give washington a chance if you want i suppose that's fair um they, just they the backcourt i'd give them a chance yeah yeah you gotta give them at least a little bit of a chance but at the same time i mean you could look at miami and say oh well they have hassan whiteside Dragic, winslow they're only one one game worse than than washington but but yeah i i i think i would put washington in the they're probably out of it category but they at least have a little bit of a chance 
All right, Kev. Well, if we're looking at the Western Conference, who are we kicking out of the playoffs already? Uh, do the Pelicans have a chance? What say you? So uh, I'd say Dallas definitely out, Phoenix out, New Orleans and Minnesota. They have a lot of talent on their team, but chances are things aren't looking too good for them. Um, really, I th- I'd say it's similar to the East, Chris, where you know Portland's still in the conversation. The Lakers are still in it. Denver's got enough talent to stay competitive. Um, Sacramento, I, I don't love their chances, but they do have Boogie. Um, I, I don't want to say no completely to New Orleans and Minnesota yet just because of the amount of talent they have on their teams, but just with their slow starts, they they really got to dig out of a big hole. Okay, so the only ones we're saying in in the NBA that, are, uh, that have no chance at the playoffs right now are Phoenix, Dallas, Miami, Orlando, Brooklyn, Philly. We on the same page, or you you kicked out the Wizards too? That's kind. I mean, Wizards are borderline. Um, I'd say the ones that are definitely out are Brooklyn, Philly, Phoenix, Dallas. But that's not really like a a, a hot take at all. Saying that, you recently wrote about the teams that are better than what their record indicates let's touch on those real quick uh a lot of people are really high on utah coming into the season and so it seems that they and they, they went through injuries earlier in the year they had to play without gordon hayward they had to play without george hill but you're starting to like them a lot and think that their record is not uh an indicator of what level of team they are yeah, so on, on Monday we published an article on the ringer.com about ball don't lie, but wins and losses do. And the Jazz at the time were 9 and 8, now they're 10 and 8. But that's not really indicative of how great they've been as a team. Um, they have the fifth best net rating in the NBA. Uh, they have the second best defensive rating. They they've they've done this despite the fact that they had injuries to Gordon Hayward and George Hill to start the season. Hayward missed six games with a broken finger. Um, Derek Favors is out, so they've had injuries, and despite that, they're, they've still had a really good numbers. Right? They it just hasn't shown up in the wins column because the amount of um, injuries they've had. I, I just love their mix of talent on their team. I think they have more versatility than m- maybe most teams in the league. Um, they're built to win. They're built to defeat different types of teams. And I think we'll see over the course of the season that they're they're actually probably the fourth or fifth best team in the West and not the seventh, eighth, or ninth like they have been in recent weeks. The other teams that you think their record is not an indicator of what they are. Uh, first, let's let's roll with the Pelicans. What are we thinking about the Pelicans? So the Pelicans obviously aren't a great team, and they're not a true contender by any means. But I, I think I think their bad start was largely due to the fact that you know Holiday was out. He's their second best second best player behind Anthony Davis, and now that he's back, he really changes things for them on both ends of the floor. Um, Holiday is just just a really steady presence on the offensive end and defensively he's a great great defender at at the point of attack so i i don't think they're necessarily a playoff team but i don't think they're the bottom feeder team that a lot of people were talking talking about them as at the beginning of the year and look they gotta make changes they need to make additions to their team but i think they at least have enough talent with holiday that they'll stay competitive is portland worse than their record um, I don't know if they're worse than their record. I'm not. I'm not sure if they're they're better either, though. And that's kind of the problem for them. They have a ton of talent on their team, but 
man, like their defense is really, really atrocious. <laughs> and I think that's a problem for them when you consider especially all the talent in the West. I, I think they're a team where they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to have no issue scoring with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. But man, that team has major issues on the defensive end of the floor. All right, Kevin. So we you wrote about the teams that, like, if you look at their wins and losses, it's not that great of an indicator of what they are. Let's talk about players. You and I both uh, were charged with coming up with three guys that, if you looked at their numbers, uh, the raw numbers, that you probably wouldn't be able to get the whole story on them. We'll do that when we come back. Thanks to Dick's Sporting Goods, youth sports matter. Student-athletes are four times more likely to attend college and are 11% more likely to graduate compared to non-athletes. Physically active kids also have 40% higher test scores and are 50% less absent. Despite this $3.5 billion that have been cut from school sports budgets in the recent years. This especially affects low-income families, which are four times more likely to decrease participation in sports due to cost. Programs across the country are losing funding at an unbelievable rate and need your help. Join us in the quest to get green laces on sneakers across the country and help save youth sports. Purchase a pair of Sports Matter green shoelaces at Dick's Sporting Goods for $2 and your purchase will help underfunded youth sports. Go to sportsmatter.org to learn more. Swap out your laces and help save youth sports. Ringer NBA show also brought to you by Jesus and Miro. Late night TV just got darker. Jesus Nice and the kid Miro have landed their own late night TV show on Viceland, the new TV channel from Vice. Late nights at 11 p.m. You may know these guys from the Bodego Boys podcast. Yes, podcasters can become TV stars these days. You might also know them from Twitter.com. Apparently, Twitter people can get TV shows, too. This is not your typical late-night show. No A-list celebrities selling their movies, no scripted jokes, no band, just two guys from the Bronx giving you your takes on culture, politics, sports, entertainment, and any other subjects they don't really know anything about. Watch the show because Miro has mad kids and Jesus loves sneakers and they're funny and other late-night shows are corny. Watch Jesus and Miro on TV on Viceland every Monday through Thursday night at 11 p.m. Go to Viceland.com to find your channel and check out some free episodes. The brand is strong. All right, Kevin, so you wrote about wins and losses with teams, and then you highlighted somebody like the Jazz as being better as their record. What we wanted to do is come up with players that are better than their raw stats. We each came up with three. Um, You want me to start? I'll start. You go, Chris. All right, the first one is, for me, Patrick Patterson for Toronto. Um, the guy is, you know, if you look at just his number, he averages like a little less than seven points a game, five rebounds, two assists, but like all, like his team just wins when he's out on the court. Like the defensive real plus minus number is good. I think he's in the top 60 in the league. You know, offensive rating, defensive rating, the team is a plus eight and a half about when he's on there. And if you look through like lineups, like two man lineups, three man lineups, like Patterson's like in all of these for Toronto. He doesn't get a ton of accolades, but like a guy, I I always feel like he's playing smart. I always feel like he's playing hard. Um, He's good when he, you know, has to switch on pick and rolls. He's athletic enough and he is 
tough as nails. He'll fight with anybody down in the post. So I, I think Patterson's one of those guys that, like, you look at him, you look at the numbers, and you go, ah, what's a big deal? He averages, like, seven points and five rebounds, two assists. <laughs> but he kind of does everything. He's he, he plays smart all the time. And, like, I don't know. Like, it's almost, I feel like, you know, uh, we should call this almost like the honor, like the Iguodala Award or something, right? Because Iguodala, <laughs> yeah. like, he's averaging like five points a game or whatever. And then you watch a game like last night, and he just flipped it, flipped the flipped the game in the third quarter, well, with his tenacity. And so you're never going to get the full story on Iguodala just by looking at his numbers. Um, at least the first one on this count for me is Patrick Patterson for Toronto. I think he is a, a big reason for their success. And in fact. With Patterson and Lowry on the floor, they're a plus 12 per 100 possessions this year. Um, I think he's a good fit with Toronto, and I don't think the stats tell the whole story. Who's your first? So I'm going to go with my first as a guy who I think everybody recognizes as having a career year, and that's George Hill from the Utah Jazz. He's averaging 21 points a game, four assists, four rebounds. He's shooting 54% from the floor, 44% from three. So he has great numbers, right? I think Anybody will acknowledge that. But, you know, looking at an advanced data point called offensive box score plus minus on basketballreference.com, I think that really is a really good good indicator of of offensive success. And and he ranks in the top five of the league amongst guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Stephen Curry, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, all these big name star players that everybody recognizes. And George Hill is right there in the conversation with them, uh, according to offensive box score plus minus. And again, he's got good basic stats, but the advanced data is just ridiculous on him. He's He ranks in the top three on points per possession scored, according to Synergy Sports. He ranks in the top percentile of effective field goal percentage. The dude has just been ridiculous through his first 10 games of the season for the Jazz. And he's, he's a big reason why I think they're ready to kind of uh, actually start winning more than about uh, 50% of their games. I, George Hill has always been a guy like Patrick Patterson, who's just a steadying presence on both ends of the floor. He's a guy his teams play well when he's on the floor. But now with Utah, I think he's really elevated his game to the next level. He won't sustain this elite level of play, but he's definitely, I think, turned into something at a higher level than when he was in Indiana. Yeah, he has been outstanding this year. And it just speaks to what a tough deal it is because Mike Conley's having a great season in Memphis, too. And I and over the weekend, Eric Spolster said, if he's not an all-star, it's criminal. But then you look and you go for like guys like yeah. Conley and guys like George Hill. Listen, Chris Paul's going to be in the all-star game, and Russell Westbrook's going to be in the all-star game, and James Harden's going to be there, and Steph Curry's going to be there. And Damian Lillard's probably going to be there. Like, it's just yep. impossible for these guys. Like, you have like, guys that are having great seasons, outstanding players that are having big upticks in in, in production, like a, like a Hill or like a Conley, and they matter so much to their team and what their team does. And yet, they may just, like, they're just up against it when it comes to, like, all-star bursts. I wonder what the all-star team would look like if positions didn't matter. If really just the best players went in. Would we see a team with like seven point guards on it? It's po- it's po- in the West, it's possible. The West is loaded. Yeah, definitely you know what I mean? I, think, yep. I mean, when you got guys like George Hill having that kind of a season, I mean, that's an all-star caliber season. That's It'd be hard to argue against mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, my second guy, another guy. I, and mine are all pretty much grinders, right? Guys that are not like highly touted, 
probably not a lot of people with their own their jerseys, but I think they like they just help you win. Todd Gibson is the next one for me. Um, again, when he's out on the court, they're winning. He's a plus eight, 8.3 in net rating. Um, he's like right on the cusp of being the top 30 player in defensive, real plus minus. Uh, obviously, his PER is great. He only averages 12 points a game. But I thought this was super interesting. And a shout-out to my buddy Chris Harrington, who writes for the Commercial Appeal. He wrote an article about Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, and Zach Lowe had referenced them being like a plus 9 or 10, right? Um when they're out on the court together. And so what Chris did is he went back and he looked at all the combinations, like just two-man lineups in the league, and who are the best. And how about this? You are going to, if you pull this stat, because I did, it is all like these superstar-laden teams, right? So every combination is going to be the Warriors, the Cavs, or the Clippers, right? The best two-man combination in the league that has played over 400 minutes, if we put that as a parameter, say, all right, so they've played a lot of minutes together. The best uh, two-man tandem in the league that has played over 400 minutes that is not either part of the Warriors, the Cavs, or the Clippers is Jimmy Butler and Todd Gibson. They are a plus 10 on average per 100 possessions. I thought that was incredible, right? Because it's not like the Bulls have some kind of amazing record but that was of 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 two of a two-man lineup that has played over 400 minutes that's the best one that's not on one of those great teams so i think and, and butler gets his accolades I, I don't think todge does and so uh todge gibson's my second that i don't think raw stats necessarily tell the story of how much he helps you winning your next one my second guy is on a team who is on a complete non-winning team, <laughs> and that's Rashawn Holmes. Um, he's averaging only seven points and four rebounds and only 16 minutes per game for the Sixers. Um, so so because of those stats, he must be a D-League-worthy player, right? He, because he plays for the 76ers of all teams. But that's not necessarily true. I, I, think, I think Holmes is one of the hidden treasures on the Sixers' young, talented roster, but he's just buried between behind Joel Embiid, Okafor, Saric, Ilyasova, but Holmes is actually very effective when he does play. Um, he's a good second-round pick. He's efficient. He has an effective field goal percentage of 61, which is just awesome. He's a solid rebounder with a defensive rebounding percentage of above 20. So I think perhaps in a, in a different situation, or if the Sixers were to trade Okafor and or Nerlens Noel, Holmes is a guy who I think would actually receive opportunity. And the funny thing is with the Sixers is I looked at stats on NBA.com and Embiid and Holmes have only been on the court together once and it wasn't even for a full minute. And that's a theoretical front court that I would actually like to see because Embiid and Holmes can both space the floor. They can both rim run. They can both rebound. Um, I I think those two would be a good theoric, theoretical mix, and we just haven't seen it because of the log jam in the front court for the Sixers. But I, I like Holmes a lot, and, and if I were them, he's a guy that I wouldn't mind being overlooked because he's someone I think I'd want to hang on to um, as maybe my fourth big in the rotation once you know you actually are trying to really win games. Good grief. I almost feel like you're screwing with me because like one of the earlier podcasts this year, 
I, I said Rashawn Holmes could walk in this studio and I wouldn't know who he was. And immediately, you know, people on Twitter were like, you host a national podcast and you don't even know who Rashawn Holmes is? I'm like, oh, get out of here. Rashawn Holmes hasn't played a game that there was a friggin' camera at. In, yeah. like, outside of, like, unless you just happen to be watching League Pass and the time that he was on the court. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not, I'm unfamiliar he, with the work of Rashawn Holmes. So here I got to listen like to you. like the 12th man on, a, on the Sixers. Two minute diatribe about how great Rashawn Holmes is. It's like, is everybody just <laughs> effing with me with this guy? Like, seriously? Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I no, love Rashawn Holmes. We want, we want you to watch him. We want you to watch him, Chris. <laughs> Enough Come with Rashawn. I'm done. I'm done with Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> All right. My third, one is, jersey, a guy, Chris, my third one is a guy I got to see in person last night. And he's a guy that I people I feel like people focus on what he doesn't do, which is shoot threes, rather than everything he does do. And that's Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I love him. Oh, yeah. And I know he's, you know, if you take him two in the draft, I, I suppose you think he's going to be a superstar. Um, he would have been a good one for your whole, you remember your article you wrote a couple weeks ago about uh, Justice Winslow. Like, he was like kind of the original Winslow, right? Where it's yeah, like, yeah, he was. If, he just, <laughs> if he just fixed his shot, good grief, this guy could be ridiculous. But again, a good defensive real plus minus guy. He's got a terrible PER. The numbers don't jump out of page. But every time I watch him, I I never think, what the hell is he doing? Or what kind of shot is that? Like I almost I almost never feel that way about him. Like I think he is he's never probably he's never gonna be like some kind of big superstar, but He's going to help teams win for a long, long time in the NBA and be a great role player. And so he doesn't shoot threes, but man, he fights and he plays every possession hard. And they really, I mean, you know what? It's funny because I looked for some things to validate it. Um, you know, he's got he's got to, obviously they're they're a winning team with him out on the court, and the defensive real plus minus numbers are good. And just watching it with my own eyes, I always feel like like he's playing hard, and he's a guy that I want, especially like big playoff games. I feel like he's going to come up with a big rebound, or he's going to come up with a big putback, or whatever it may be. I just like the guy. Um, but it's funny, you know, when I looked up like a lot of those like numbers and lineups, et cetera. Of course, he's in them. As successful, but you know who just littered the Hornets, uh, the the Hornets uh, numbers was Cody Zeller. Like Oof. it was almost like I was looking to confirm, much like I did with Taj, that Kid Gilchrist is a big difference. You know, but damn man, Cody like almost all their lineup combinations that include like you know Kemba and Kid Gilchrist or Kemba and Batum. If you, when you slide Zeller in there, it's like. Like the numbers go through the roof. I was like, well, damn, man, maybe I should use Cody Zeller. So I'll give him a shout out, too. I was doing Kid Gilchrist, and then what I found was like maybe the biggest difference uh, with that, with the, with the group of guys the Hornets have is Cody Zeller, who had missed some games uh, recently. But I, and I don't think anybody necessarily thinks about him, but it, just according to the numbers early in the season, he is extremely important to what they're doing. And they have, they've been winning big with him out on the court. You mentioned earlier that you like grinders. Both of those guys are definitely grinders. And in some ways, with them, it's like, who cares about their offensive numbers? Just because they do so many little things on the floor that, that I think often go unnoticed. Yep. All right. You're th- so I got I got Patterson, Todd, and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Um, those are my three guys. Who's your third one? 
So my first two are auto uh, from George Hill and Rashawn Holmes. My third is Otto Porter from the Washington Wizards. Um, he's a guy who's gotten notably better each season of his career. Just looking at his basic stat line, his points per game each season have gone from 2 to 6 to 12 into almost 15 this season. That's a very steady progression. Um, but he's also gotten more efficient each year. And this season, according to Synergy Sports, he's scoring 1.1 points per possession, which ranks 13th in the NBA. To put that into perspective, He's around what guys like Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and J.J. Redick do. Of course, they're different players and different roles, different responsibilities. But I think Otto Porter is one of the more underrated guys in the league, and he's kind of hidden on the Wizards. And I think his efficiency speaks to his improvement playing within his role. He's a great shooter, a great cutter. He hasn't developed as a ball handler in a way that I think maybe the Wizards hoped. But he has grown within his role. And we talked about the Wizards earlier. I think he's one of those guys where if he makes a little bit more of a leap than he already has this season, maybe we are talking about them as a 7 or 8 seed in the East because they do have talent on their team. And Otto Porter is one of the bright spots that I think often gets overlooked with so much focus on Bradley Bale and John Wall. And then you do wonder, right, like what kind of fit that is all three of them together, you know? Mm-hmm. Those it's, three it's, guys. Because I, mean, I think Porter Porter reminds me of a kind of guy that could be outstanding on a really good team. Like maybe maybe yeah. a little maybe maybe doing a little less than what he's necessarily doing right now, or possibly maybe doing more, right? Maybe he maybe he would even be better if he wasn't playing with two guys that, you know, like uh, th- that have that su- uh, such a dynamic back- backcourt um, in Wall. Yeah. And I think I think that's a good point, Chris. Uh, you know, I I wonder. I mean, there's guys like that all across the league that you know, if they get the right opportunity, they suddenly just explode. And maybe Otto Porter is that guy. Maybe playing without the ball in his hands all these years has kind of stunted his ability to actually be effective with the ball in his hands. So it, it, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, if I just, were a team, just I, I'd have know, interest. Right? Because like yeah. sometimes, right? Are you? Like it's not like Serge Ibaka is exploding in Orlando, right? So is it because mm-hmm. you played with Westbrook and Durant? So it, it, is Porter's success because, in some ways, he's playing with Wall and Beal, or is it stunted and he could be even better if he wasn't yeah. playing with Wall and Beal? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't know yet. I don't know. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough issue, I think, for teams, but. For guys like that, if, it, if they're a cost-effective risk, it's definitely a risk worth taking for guys like that. All right, let's get to our uh, quick hits. Last thing of the podcast today, Kevin O'Connor. Mark Cuban says the Mavs won't tank, implying this year's draft uh, is not worth it. Maybe not worth tanking. Um, we talked last week on our Tuesday podcast, and you said this draft is worth tanking for. So where are we at? Is Cuban just wrong? So I think I think his comments might have been, uh, in my opinion at least, the way I read it, uh, I think he was kind of saying that it's not worth it right now. I think I, I think because there's not a guy where you know I think we like we talked about there's not that LeBron James where you're you're in a you want to tank for that guy. There's not that prize yet, and and I think there's a lot of talent in the draft where you can get a great player with the eighth pick potentially. Um, so I may, I don't know if that's what he's saying, but possibly that that could be his perspective where, you know, it's not necessary to tank to get a shot at a great player. But at the same time, he did say earlier in the week that 
maybe around game 70 or 75, they'd look at the situation and consider tanking. And, and that's kind of the thing with this year is there's not a lot of super horrible teams, right? So I think, I think if they did want to tank, they don't necessarily have to start now. They don't, they don't have to tank to get 10 wins. They can tank and aim for 20 wins and still get a, a top shot at getting the top pick in a draft. Um, I don't know if that's what he's saying, but I, I would think that might be part of the um, part of what he's saying behind the, you don't have to tank in this draft. Um, but I think they should tank at some point because regardless of the amount of talent in the draft, you still want to have one of the top picks. So you get your choice of a guy. All right, Kevin. Famously, years ago, there was a trade that was possibly going to go down between the Warriors and the Timberwolves. And people thought that at the time the Warriors were goofy for not getting rid of Klay Thompson and trading him for Kevin Love. Kevin Love is having <laughs> uh, maybe the best year of his career. He's averaging 22-11 and 11 on an awesome team. He's shooting 45% from the field, 43% from three, 87% from the line. If Cleveland called Golden State today and said, <laughs> Love for Thompson straight up, who says no? I, I think I think both teams would be happy with what they have. I, I don't know if either team would would say would say yes to that because you're right. Kevin Love's having a career year with um, Cleveland. They they figured out I think how to perfectly integrate him. And the big reason for that, in my opinion at least, is LeBron James taking a little bit less of a scoring role and a much bigger facilitating role on the team. And that, that's really I think empowered Kevin Love to take the extra three shots a game or whatever uh, it is he's taking compared to la- the last two seasons. And man, he's just been unbelievable super efficient he's doing all the things he did in minnesota and in many ways he's doing it better we're scrapping the league we're i'm getting a franchise you're getting a franchise but one of you get and uh you can either have love or clay thompson and we're starting to, we're starting the team next year um i i i think i'd lean towards clay um that, that that's close but I just think Clay is just an unstoppable, ridiculous, incredible shooter. Um, granted, right now he's shooting only like 36% from three, but who cares? It's a small sample size. <laughs> what he really is is a, a deadly 42% shooter from three who can knock down shots at any time and get hot. Um, and he's a great defender on top of that. Uh, I'd lean towards Clay. How about you, Chris? I really like the double digit rebounds too. I mean, I, I you know, I think right now that it is more, it's probably more scarce to get a guy like Clay. You look around the league, there ain't a bunch of great shooting guards. You know? This is not you're right. Like, yeah, you're right. If we're if we're racking off the best shooting guards, right? Clearly because, I mean, there's a bunch of great wings if you want to, like, throw wings on because that's all LeBron and Kawhi and on and on. But if you're just and, – and there and then a lot of the point guards are guys that, like, really score. Like, that used to be the shooting guards, right, that were scoring. So it's like Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook. But we're just talking, like, two guards, like, obviously James Harden. But James Harden's now, like, playing point guard. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe Thompson is a little more – scarce slash harder to match up with if I'm starting a team and he's and he is a better defender right probably better two-way player Mm -hmm. than love is but I am higher on love than a lot of people I love him I love love (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's hard not to love the things he does. He's, he's a great player. He's he's a former superstar. He still is a superstar. He just doesn't get the same amount of, uh, I guess, accolades that he did yeah. before because the numbers aren't as significant. But man, like, look, if you were starting a team tomorrow, I don't think you could go wrong with either of those guys. And it's all a matter of, as you were kind of saying, it depends on how you want to build your team and how you want to focus yeah. around one and, of those two players. But neither of those guys are in that class that, like, they're like it, if they're the best team, if they're the best guy on your team, you can still be shitty, right? There's guys throughout the league. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, well, we've seen it, yeah. right? Love, love was putting up crazy numbers. His team sucked. I think Clay could be one of those guys too. He could be your best player and be on a bad team. There, it, there's still just a very select few of guys. Like it's hard to envision LeBron and Kawhi and. Uh, Chris Paul, etc. Like being, I'm, I'm talking like on really bad teams. So I do think that both of those guys, they're not at the level that their sheer star power um, could get you at least maybe like 30 wins. Like I, they could be on really bad teams. So they're not to that level necessarily. I don't think either of them are. But it's a, it's a debate. I think it's certainly a debate. Like if somebody told me they would, if they like stuck their uh, flag in the ground for love over Thompson, I. I wouldn't fight them over. I wouldn't think they're stupid. I think I think, you know, this is kind of an aside, but what you're saying about these guys being the best player on their team and still having shitty teams, I think that speaks to just how amazing LeBron James was for the Cavaliers and his first stint with them. I mean, the team, the talent on those on those teams on Cleveland, the team that went to the finals against the Spurs, they really weren't that good of a team outside of LeBron. I Bro, mean, how about that finals team him, he went he, to he's really with two guy. years ago against the Warriors? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was absurd. Uh, mm -hmm. The guys he had, it was like it was like him and Matthew Dellavedova, and like people are having debates. Like he's they've got to play Richard Jefferson. I'm like Jesus. If if the debate, (laughs) if the debate is they got to play Richard Jefferson, we got problems. (laughs) Who was the one in those having Booby Gibson? I think. (laughs) Yeah, right. Booby Gibson. All right. Last week you said. Last week you said you don't care about shoes. And, and 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 then famously said you wear vans <laughs> all the time. Kevin O'Connor, yes, have you ever owned a jersey? Yeah, I've owned a jersey. I, I used to own an Arian Foster jersey, um, and he's retired now. Uh, own, a, own a Tom Brady jersey. It's all old now. It's not a real jersey. It's one of those like fake ones you buy uh, for what, like thirty bucks? Not the two hundred fifty dollar or overpriced NFL uh, store ones. But yes, I have owned a jersey, Chris. Not many of them in my life. I'm not. I've never been much of a jersey wearer. I am fascinated by Arian Foster. Why Arian Foster? I, I just love Arian Foster's game. I love his perspective on life. Um, I, I just think Arian Foster, really, in many ways, was maybe the best back in the NFL playing on one of the worst teams in the Texans or remind me in some ways in, in the early 2000s, Corey Dillon and the Bengals just had some ridiculous, ridiculous seasons for the Bengals, but he was just buried on a winner on, on a losing team. And it wasn't really until he got to new England that he was. So um, it's an, I think so it's an Arian Foster one. Texans Jersey. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Dig that. Arian Foster. I, I'm a fact, big Arian I, Foster fan. Still am. I've got like a million jerseys, by the way. <laughs> so, okay, I got a closet full. Yes, I've got. What's your favorite yes. one? I'm the guy that buys them on eBay. You okay. Know what I mean? What's your favorite one? Um, 
I think I've got a I've got like a 87 I think it is all-star one of those Mitchell and Ness all-star Larry Birds. I loved the I loved those uniforms. Um Okay. I, I've got a Barry Sanders Oklahoma State. I love that one. Oh boy, that's a good one. Um I've got an Earl Campbell Texas. I've got but I mean, listen. My favorite by far right now is I've got a, the salute the troops Ezekiel Elliott. I have not washed it okay. in eight weeks. <laughs> True story. Did this wear, just turn into the NFL show? <laughs> I wear I wear it every Sunday. I know. Well, the, you just asked me what jerseys I got. I've got a Penny Hardaway Magic jersey. There, there you go. Okay, there's, there's the NBA show wow. for you. All right, <laughs> oh, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. This is really not NBA. It is NBA related. Isaiah Thomas. Yep tweeted out that he got a text, and then he actually expounded on this. He got a text from Allen Iverson, the answer mm. himself. And it said, keep doing your thing, I'm watching. Right? Mm-hmm. Kevin, if you could get a text from anyone saying, keep doing your thing, I'm watching, or reading, or listening, whatever it may be, <laughs> who do you want that text to be from? Oh man, <laughs> Chris! I wish you asked me this question ahead of time, so I. And if to you prep. say, and if you say Bill Simmons, <laughs> I'm kicking your ass. Um. <laughs> oh man, this this is hard to say, man. Um. You because know, by, because by the way, Bill Simmons ain't listening to this. Okay, <laughs> let's get that straight. You know, I think I think in some ways. I, I you know uh, I I think man this is hard Chris you got me like, this is really hard I, I think I think in some ways what I would want is someone who's like powerful in the NBA like a guy like Adam Silver to to recognize you know the good stuff we're doing here at the Ringer not just me but you know everybody here I, I think I think that would be a really cool thing to have Adam Silver the commissioner of the the league we're writing about say hey you guys are doing good things there so so you I'll, want I'll go the with te- Adam Silver you, you but... want the text to be from Adam Silver keep doing your thing I'm watching Sure, that that's my answer within the moment with with the gun to my head. <laughs> I, but right right now, Adam Silver is my answer. I'll get back to you maybe next week with a, a really good answer. No, I think your answer is, is is very good. It's a very good answer, Kevin. All right, that's okay. gonna do it for another edition of the NBA show. We'll catch up with you next week, Kev. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, Chris. If you like what we're doing, make sure you take a little extra time. Give us a rating and review on iTunes to combat the haters. Thanks for listening to another edition, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks again to Viceland for bringing today's podcast. Late Night TV just got darker. Jesus Nice and the Kid Miro have landed their own late night TV show on Viceland, the new TV channel from Vice. Weeknights at 11 p.m. No A-list celebrities selling their movies, no scripted jokes, no band, just two guys from the Bronx giving you their takes on sports, culture, politics, entertainment, and other subjects they don't really know anything about. Watch Jesus and Miro on TV on Viceland every Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. Go to Viceland.com to find your channel and check out some free episodes. The brand is strong.